So, John, always a bonus. No Mark Flanagan for the next hour. Which, great. Um, yeah, great. Yeah, not really. We'd never really missed him that much. Some people don't notice when he's not here. Um, and we are joined by Danica Prim, the Leeds prop. Danica, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Are you? Very good. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Wilco, you've been in Newcastle all weekend. How was it? How was Magic? Any stories? I mean, on the pitch was great, wasn't it? The Catalan wow, story yeah. was incredible. Yeah, so yeah, no, incredible. I mean, the, the quality of the games on the the Saturday was. I think I spoke to a lot of people and like oh, it's just what the game needed. You know, some real jeopardy and tension and and like a, you know, some huge results. And 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 I, I tend to agree actually because I've I've been covering a lot of games and watching a lot of games and there's not really anything that's got me turgid. Do you know what I mean? And it was the first few games that's really got me going and feeling like right. These are these are these are quality uh, quality games. The atmosphere up there. Have you been to the Magic Weekend, Will? Because you, you did the one in Liverpool, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to one at St James's. I, I think St James's stands out at the top, don't you? Yeah, it's great. It's great. I mean, Newcastle is a, it's a party city anyway, isn't it? So, yeah. like on the Sunday morning, I had a walk around, grabbed a coffee, and it was just like uh, dawn of the dead, but rugby league <laughs> version. That's so the imagine, best bit now, like, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like a zombie, a zombie apocalypse, and there's just there's three <laughs> Castleford fans like walking towards like three Hull KR fans like in a doorway. It's great. It's great. Not I in, loved it. Not speaking. Yeah. Grunting no, to each no, other. I love, yeah. No, Danica, I love are you a big fan? Big fan of Magic? Yeah, huge. Yeah, I went to the one in Manchester, and then I've done a couple up in Newcastle, and um, well, it didn't go up this time because we were meant to have a game on Sunday, you know, match prep and all, would have finished mm. late and got back late and then our game got cancelled and just enjoyed the spectacle that it was oh. on the television. It's a shame, but yeah. it was a, definitely a, like, yeah, you like to say it's what the game needed. If you weren't a league fan, it was definitely entertaining, wasn't it? And edge of the seat yeah, stuff. Yeah. So what a wicked weekend, but yeah, gutted not to have been up there. Yeah. Look, Danica, you, you are talking to us really on your, is it first day back at school? You're, you're a teacher, is it first week back at school at least, isn't it? Well, yeah, first is second day. The first day is always a bit of training, sitting around. Second day, we've kind of had to do a bit more, speak to a few more parents and kids. But, yeah, just gone back to it. So back to the grind. So for, for those who don't off. know, full, full-time gig teaching, what do you teach? I am a maths and PE teacher, which couldn't be any more end of the spectrum, could it? I, uh, <laughs> no. That doesn't, that I'm a qualified PE that teacher. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> I know. I'm, I literally, I've maths by... Chance. So I'm a qualified PE teacher, top PE, yeah. mainstream schools, and I work in an alternative provision. So kids with social, emotional health, mental health needs, those who can't really access mainstream. So it's a little bit tougher than your normal gig, I'd say. Um, and then basically with that kind of stuff, it's more of the kids will learn from people they relate to or people they'll get on with and like, do you fancy teaching a bit of maths? And I was like, yeah, it was honestly my least favourite subject at school. I think I I sat my GCSE maths three times to get my uh, <laughs> genuinely, and it's so, not. I've got I've got two de- I've got two degrees. I'm not stupid. I just couldn't be bothered at school, so I didn't didn't practice. And here and, I am. And here I am you now are head now. of maths. Just put eighteen head kids of maths, not just a maths teacher. Head of maths. <laughs> head of head of head of maths. Double F. Head of um, head of blagging it, pulling out my ass and pretending I know what I'm doing. And I mean, to be fair, it's one of those. Year. I hope none of the students are watching. But do you remember Wilco? We had Ryan Hall on the other week, and you know he's yeah. a maths freak, isn't he? He's like a sort of yeah. beautiful mind, Russell Crowe, maths boffin, just naturally gifted at maths, and, and but loves it. And I was, I'm the same as you at school. I just couldn't think of anything worse than maths. 
because I, I even said to them back then before the days of the iPhones I was like I've got some shit sort of Samsung thing with the aerial that pulls out it's got a calculator on it that's all I need it's all I'm ever going to need for maths yeah, and, I, and it's rang true to this day but some, Jock, some Walker, you run a business really you don't know how to do maths yeah I do I, lo- I love maths um, you know I'm always I work in fractions all the time uh, I, lo- <laughs> I love um, you know really long divisions you know that's my weekend <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it's like five or six lines, Will, and you just, oh, I get excited. Long division. There's rows algebra. and rows of numbers. Al- algebra. I love algebra. I've yeah. always loved algebra. Five or six lines. That's life a, is no, algebra, kind of isn't weekend, it? Kind of it is, yeah. Well, I <laughs> think life, some people, like, algebra. take to maths, don't they? Some people love it and take to it. And other people, it's mm-hmm. like an alien language. Uh, and I think you've got yeah. to be a really certain type of person. I think if anything, Danica, the fact that you failed a few times means that you're probably in a good position to teach people how to learn the subject. <laughs> oh, you know, something like that. But I'm like, the kids are like to me, where will we ever, ever use this? And it's, you've just got to be honest, you're probably not. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to get you a GCC <laughs> qualification. So I'm going to teach you what you need to know to get your grades to move on. Like everything see, in see, life. See, that's, what, that's, that's, that's a cool much. way of looking at it. Yeah, that's how the teacher should have explained it to me. It's the honest way, though, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's the honest way. Yeah. yeah. Look, so I'm I mean, a prop like, in rugby league. See, it screams. Yeah. <laughs> and that doesn't go together, does it? Maths, prop, rugby league, PE teacher. <laughs> I mean, when you um, everyone was like, oh, it's that cliche question, why teach? And and I, I think I've seen a few interviews with you, Danica, from years gone by, and and you said you were kind of inspired by your PE teachers when you were a kid at school. Is that the the big reason why you wanted to go into that? Yeah, I was the kid in in school that. I wasn't. I wasn't naughty. I was just a you question. A question. No, you weren't naughty. I was a bit of an ass. Right. Pe- people who say they're not naughty. I wasn't naughty, but I wasn't very good. <laughs> As either. such, you know. No, I'd like to say I was more philosophical. So you can't. You're not right. allowed to wear, but bracelets. So you're not allowed to wear a certain jumper. And I'm like, how's it affecting my education? Give me a reason, <clears> and I'll take it off. And they were like, just take it off. It's the code. So you were smart <laughs> ass, Danica. I've got three brothers. This is, it was a, <laughs> a necessity in life, you know. I was the only girl in a very male family, so smart ass or asshole, you know, either or is uh, that's how I roll. But yeah, um, so yeah, I was just I got I was in every possible school team. Didn't have the greatest like that cliche thing. Didn't have the greatest upbringing. So staying at school and doing every. What, sport what does that mean? Because I've, I've heard you say that before, and like not, I don't want to pry, but what, what does that mean? Tell us a bit more about not having the. Oh, best so I was a classic kid. Parents split up when I was really young. Um, m- massive, like we were in poverty, a proper poverty-stricken family. You know, I got a job when I was 11, 12, just so I could contribute to like the the income. Uh, I'd get ten pounds a day for working ten wow, hours in a dog kennel. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was like. But the thing is, it's like that at the time. That was just what you did. You didn't. Now, because I work with kids in that situation, I'm a bit like, oh, that's not right. But at the time, yeah, I worked ten hours a day on a Saturday in a dog kennels, and at the end of every Saturday, he gave me ten quid, <laughs> a pound an hour to Jesus wash out Christ. dog kennels. And it then sounded uh, a lot like when... the uh, Monty Python sketch that Danica, doesn't it? You know, luxury yeah, in the but... four Yorkshireman sketch. We worked for ten pounds <laughs> for ten hours, and then we got cut yeah. in half and had to eat a cupful of hot gravel. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. The dogs got fed yeah. better than I did. Where um, did that ten then, quid go then? That just went into the family pot. Wasn't even the family pot. My mum was an alcoholic, so she wasn't even in the house. It was more. I've got three brothers, and uh, maybe the maternal instincts kicked in 
I've not got any kids, so I don't really have any. But um, yeah, just food, bread, milk, you know. And then if I was lucky, I saved up 1997. I saved, was it 97? I saved up £12 to buy the Titanic VHS tape so I could have it myself. It is a great film. Do you know what? I had a, actually, I had a conversation with someone the other day about this. Someone was saying that, yeah, DiCaprio's great. The only one, I said, I said, He's never done a bad film. They're like, well, Titanic. I was like, Titanic is not a bad film. <laughs> it's a classic. Titanic is, is up. Titanic's above Wolf of Wall Street. Do you know what? Watching it back now, I'm not. I don't rate it that much. And it's a bold statement that is well because Wolf of Wall Street is pretty decent. <laughs> no, I, I think I detest Titanic now. Is, is, yeah. it, it's still it's the only an, epic, had. an epic film. Isn't it? Yeah. But, so yeah, I mean, look, so, three, you said you said three three brothers there. That's in itself is a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so my oldest brother was a rugby player. I think he was in the Leeds Rhinos Academy pre, like, Jones's era, so he must be 41 now. And at 16, 17, smashed his knee on a, on a post and shattered his kneecap and then never never played again. Um, so he's always been a mad fan. So he was the, he's the reason I play rugby league. So when I was in year five or six, so what, 10, 11, he came from high school being a bit of a bad lad himself, he didn't get any qualifications. Um, and he used to come and coach my primary school team. And then, so I'm I'm 37 next weekend, so I'm not I'm not a spring chicken at all. So back in them days, there hey, wasn't a women's team. We're 37. Or girls don't team. say that. We're we're both 37. Yeah, I'm still chicken. I'm still playing though. It's a great age. It's a great age. It's a great age. You've got so much to look. And you're doing to. really well. You're playing great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about. Just got over last weekend, and I'm about to play again this weekend. But yeah, he came and coached me in year six. I was me and my friend Amy were the two girls that the government were like, girls and boys can't play together, and they were like, I'll watch these two girls play. And we were absolutely kicking the crap out of the boys, and that's when they extended the playing age to for women for girls up to like thirteens. But then there was no there was no team, so I stopped playing um, when I got to high school, and took up classical ballet. Because obviously what? they they fit in. What the? F- <laughs> <laughs> so then danced, yeah. Because my brothers all played football and rugby. So what can I do that's going to piss them off the most? Oh no, we, we can't we can't ballet. move past the classical ballet part without going into that a bit further. Explain. Yeah, so I went to dance lessons. My teacher at school was a dance teacher, so gave me the lessons for free. Um. Yeah, she took me on a ring. So classical ballet, tap, modern jazz. Wow. Did that and competed in dance competitions from 11, 12, all the way up to 17. At 17, I danced at Royal Albert Hall, Disneyland Paris. Um, yeah, loads of bit like big theatres, like full showgirl style. Incredible. Leotards, but is, is, that, is that like, I mean, is it like Great swimming? Times. Is it like what John's missus did? Is it's kind of, you know, 17, you're at your peak and, you know, you're old at 18 for a classical ballet dancer. But like, you know. Yeah, swimming. I was also not the right shape or size. Always been a little bit. I'm five foot, five foot eight, five foot nine. Never been a, a slight girl. <laughs> yeah, taller than most people. Um, but never been slight. So it was kind of like you need to either move on and then went to uni and it's like, what can I do that? is not ballet because I lost kind of not dancing. I did everything like I'd like, Oh yeah, I've done all sorts in dancing, taking me around. I've danced in Hong Kong, Disneyland. Um, I've done loads of it. 
went to university, did a sports science and medicine degree and thought, what can I do that's going to be social? So I joined the rugby union side, which is uh, what well, I used to like tackle my brothers and play around with them. So it was kind of just like a bit of a wild journey. But yeah, that's how I got into, back into rugby was... Was that not was that not sinning in your in the eyes of your brothers? You know, joining the rugby union team, having grown up going to Headingley with them. Yeah, proper working class family. So I was a rah rah. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? You're a rah rah. And I was like, look, there was no the closest thing. Closest rugby league team was probably like St Helens or somewhere that way. You know, there was a Liverpool or something like that. There was nowhere anywhere near. And I'd always like from '96 watched. Can remember going. And having a £10 season ticket to Leeds Rhinos for under-16s. So, season ticket. And that was your entertainment with all my friends. Whether you liked rugby league or not, £10 for the whole season. You had a free ticket all the time. And if you weren't using it, you'd pass it to a friend. Well, look, d- during that time when you had a season ticket, I think you went with your brother. I don't know. I don't, I yeah. don't One of your three brothers. And he told you, um, you were kind of like, oh, this is cool. You know, I'd, I'd love to play here one day. And he was like, absolutely not, love. Not a chance. I watched no, Barry McDermott you're a woman. punch somebody. Yeah, I, punch, I watched Barry McDermott punch somebody. And I thought it was the coolest thing I'd seen because he just, it was a big, big fight. Everyone was like cheering. I was like, oh, we're allowed to cheer fighting. Wicked. This is brilliant. I was like, I want to do this. I want to play one day. And he was mm-hmm. like, I know that's wicked, but you'll not play here. This is Headley Stadium. This is, women will not, you know, there's no teams around here. You'll never play here. And I was like, oh, gutting. But it was just the given. Like I kind of understood like that was that was the way life was at that point. And what my brother said at that time was gospel. So well he said that and that must have been the truth. So yeah, it was a bit of a but yeah, Barry McDermott was uh I thought I want to be a bit like him. Because <laughs> he seems a bit <laughs> of a psycho. And my brother got really excited by the punching and you know, I was allowed to like tackle him and and kick him around a bit so yeah that was it and that was that just a given that was it I'm never going to play at Head and Lee but I'll go and I'll watch and I'll vicariously play through the, the guys and the men and, and stuff like that and, and all those years later going, when you did you, it was that the first text message you sent out yeah I think I remember obviously signing for Rhinos was massive anyway and I remember being like oh Carl I'm signing for Rhinos and he was like oh no you're not no you're not and this is just coming off the back of a World Cup so it was a bit like you just stolen my Sunday. You just have to do everything better than me, don't you? And I was like, mm, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. A younger sister's prerogative just to do everything better than you can do it. And then, yeah, so after coming off the World Cup, I was like, I'm signing for Leeds Rhinos. And he was like, shut up. And then we got wind that we were playing at Headingley on the, it was the 26th of May, 2018. I was like, I'm playing at Headingley. And he was like, you're not. And I was like, I'm playing at Headingley. And like I think it's still I've played in a World Cup, but to this day, walking out in Headley is probably one of my proudest rugby moments ever. Yeah. Ever. Yes. And it was one of those like yeah. meanwhile, Carl was there in the crowd with another girl just going, You'll never play here, love. You'll never play here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. No, he's got he's, this is a one like off. so this socially is a awkward. <laughs> so socially awkward. But I remember he stood there going, I told her, I told her she would, and I was like, Shut <laughs> up! Oh, shut up! Tried to claim, claim. That's not the case. Yeah, I try uh, how to play. I was like, no, you taught me how to survive. I only was like can tackle and scramble is because of you. Uh, do, yeah, just, just like, rewinding then. What you know, switching codes um, from from union to league. I think you did that in in 2015. Obviously, you know, at, at uni. So, what's that like? You can't, you know, you're playing prop for Leeds University I think you played at Twickenham didn't you for Leeds University 
basically, a, we can't we can't say Lee Juni. I was Leeds Met. Leeds it's Met. Like sorry. Saying, Leeds it's Met. like yeah, saying Paul yeah, yeah. FC and Paul it. KR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that, it's, a bit yeah, it's like no, it's like it's like people who said oh, I went to Oxford. Yeah, I went to Oxford. In bracket, Brooks. 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 <laughs> Brooks. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather be a no, Polly. Is the old famous song. But I mean, I switching codes is one thing, uh, Danica. But switching codes when you're a prop, I mean, that they're they're not easy transitions, are they? No. So I, I started at proper union and then played at played at uni. We went to Twickenham three times in the what was the books university championships final, uh, which was just wicked. Because you think at that point, and I played alongside Vicky Fleetwood and Emily Scarrett that are all big names in the England lineup now. Like I think Skaz is like the face of women's rugby union and Adidas. And like, I've got some stories and some videos about you, pal, but you know, as you all do, uh, but they were, oh. they were the girls that I kind of learned rugby union from and were on the kind of England fringes, but it wasn't that big at the time. They weren't professionally contracted or anything like that. But I thought this is wicked and uh, gradually moved from prop to second row, had a little stint in the back row at eight, which is, very similar to a 13, a bit more ball playing. And then got into the Yorkshire side, then captained Yorkshire the following season, then got into the North of England side and was on the, like what you call the 44, which is basically they get 44 players to trial for England. You all play each other in teams. But then I snapped my ligament in my ankle and was back on, like, this is uni. I don't want to take rugby too seriously. I'm enjoying uni. I'm enjoying having the, the social crack and, basically walking up on a Sunday for West Park Bramhope uh, when I joined the community club and still being a little bit worse for wear from the night before and not having any kind of worries about it. Do you know what I mean? And I'd seen the 2013 World Cup for the Rugby League women were over here and I was like, I've got a few friends that I know that are playing in it, so I'll go and have a look and, you know, and, and see what it's about. And then, yeah, 15, got a phone call. It was a really weird phone call from Chris Chapman, who was the England coach at the time for Rugby League. And he said, oh, I've been watching you play. I was looking at you at 13, but obviously you hurt your ankle. Um, but how do you fancy playing rugby league? And by this point, I developed this new fan. I've always been a Rhinos fan, but I was a rah-rah. I was playing rugby union. I was pretty good at it. I can't go on to the dark side. I'd been asked a couple of times, oh, can you just jump in and play rugby league and fill up numbers? I was like, no, I don't think I'm fit enough. I don't, I, you know, this whole getting back 10 metres every time you have a tackle, shut up, it's ridiculous. And so Chris Chapman rang me up and he was like, oh, I've been watching you. I was like, no idea about the, the kind of context of who he was or what he was ringing for. And I was like, no, he I just, don't want to play rugby league. He just rang you and said, I've been, Danica, I've been watching you. And you didn't know yeah. who he was. I was like, you're crazy. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but that, it was through, he was a partner of somebody I worked at a school with once as part of a coaching job. It was a real weird, by chance that he had my number or even seen me or heard about me. You know, one of those, like, I'm not into fate and whatever else, but it was one of those right name, right time, right place type of weird combinations. And I think the school I was working for, the lads had got into a rugby, under-15s rugby league final. He was there and I was just chatting to him weirdly about it. But yeah, he just rang me up and he said, how do you fancy converting? I was like, don't be so ridiculous. Like, no. And he was like, oh, I've been thinking about the 2017 World Cup. And I was like, oh. He's like, it's in Sydney. I was like, hmm. right, talk to me. Tell me a bit more about this. And that's as fickle as it sounds, that's exactly why I said, what do you need me to do? And he was like, I'll join a local community club. So I joined Stanley, which was at the time, there wasn't a super league or there wasn't, it was just, they were the top in the top league with like the four top teams. It's close. It was easy. It was by school. It it worked for training because we were training Mondays and Wednesdays. 
union training was Tuesday, Thursdays. So it all seemed just to fit in. I was like, yeah, I'll give it a bash. So switched over, realised pretty soon that I thought I was quite fit. And in fact, I wasn't. I thought I could tackle and run a ball in. I couldn't. Like, you know, you have this perception of rugby league or rugby league have a perception of rugby union. But yeah, it definitely hit a lot harder converting over. But yeah, I picked it up pretty quickly. My strength is running the ball in. And as soon as I learned I could run the ball in, get tackled but not lose it. Because in rugby union, as soon as you hit the deck, you have to give the ball away. Um, and I thought, oh, this works pretty well for me, actually. I'm quite a hard runner. I can carry three or four people a time in a tackle. It works quite well. I'm quite successful. Uh, second season at Stanley, can you be captain? And I was like, yeah, I still don't know the rules, but wicked. And then 2015, June 2015, made me England debut. Just like that. So the, the initial call was February 15th. And June 15th. I love that admission there. I don't, I don't know the rules, but there we go. I've got the captain's armband. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I know them all now, if I'm honest. <laughs> Wilco, did you have those sort of perceptions about union and stuff? I mean, you know, you're pretty open minded, but were those stigmas with union there with you? Well, I thought it was really interesting. Eddie Jones featured on Sky Sports through the night when I was covering one of the games. And, uh, it just I found it I find the the biases between both sports really interesting and I think both sports have got like an insanely warped sense of the other massive um, misconceptions isn't it about everything yeah but 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 it goes both ways right so yeah you know, yeah, yeah we we were trying to dig Eddie Jones out well Eddie Jones mentioned fitness and then we've jumped on it the sport has jumped on it like uh, just so hard they've, they've bit so hard about it because we think our sport's fitter and quicker and better and theirs is more technical and complicated and slower and yeah i've, I've just never subscribed to it I, I view it like two different sports completely well in, in sim the simple terms is I, I don't think there is any comparison between the two uh, athletes can transfer between the two certain athletes but the games themselves the game itself is completely different it's just the requirements to play it are different um you know and i enjoy watching really good games of both and i think really shit games of both are awful to watch as well and and that's just you know that's like sport world for football in it i imagine you you watch an insane amount of football you could watch a great game of football and love it but there's some bad games out there will that never see the light of day in there yeah I mean, so I mean, so many of them just wash over you now because you just, you know, you, you're yeah. you're watching a game of football and it could be the shittest game of football and you're just almost in robot mode because you just see so much of it that even the good ones and the bad ones don't stand out because there's so much <laughs> and and it's 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 almost like over polluted football at the now, isn't it, at the moment because yeah. particularly during the pandemic, it's, it just was on every night and. And you lose the quality, you know. You lose people lose the thirst for it. I think after a while as well. I mean, look, Danica, fast forwarding a bit then from you know, this meeting with Chris Chapman and so on, and then you you go into league. You went to Bradford Bulls. You won the first yeah. Super League title, uh, the first women's Super League title with Bradford, and then you know England debut 2015. Played at the World Cup in 2017. You know, then go to Leeds and you and you win a Super League title there. And I and I always think back to that an interview that you did or a quote I read somewhere where you said, you know, I've gone from getting changed in a car, running onto the field, falling down all sorts of divots on a pitch, getting back in the car, getting showered at home to, I think you referenced the the, the game at Bolton at the Reebok, whatever that stadium's called now, yeah. what's it called? University of Bolton Stadium. Um, you know, playing in a triple header in, in, in the grand final at, against St. Helens. Yeah, 
it's mental. Like, like I think the girls now take it for granted a little bit, and I'm a bit not sad because I think the game's great where where we are as a game, you know. And I'm under no illusion that we're we are still really building, and I don't want it to rush too fast, and I don't want obviously professional would be a great thing, but we've come so so far in such a short space of time. So, yeah. 2015, we were drawing straws for who was going to wash the kit afterwards, you know, and it's basically who could get in and out of the change rooms quick enough to not get caught by the, the kit bag at the end. Walking out onto a field where the Sunday morning dog walkers had been and just checking the field or 15 minutes into a game thinking, can I get a new pair of shorts, please, because I've just landed in a load of crap. To not having to be to the point where we had just a field. We had some post protectors in a field and some markings. I remember playing once in a, and I'm honest to God, I think the, the grass was about four inches long, and it was just you just played, you just played for the sake of playing, and and it was it was great. And I was thinking the whole time, I've always said to my friends and stuff, I'll I'll represent England somehow, and this was kind of like a means to an end. So I was just like, oh, I'm just going to go for it. I've been quite privileged in Union because I was West Park Bramhope, which is North Leeds, which is a very affluent area where we had five pitches, a 3G, a gym and everything to play in rugby league. And I was like, no, stick it out. There's an England cap here somewhere if you carry on. Um, yeah, to like, you know, post-match being who can down the pint the quickest for getting the man of the match. <laughs> um, I've never lost one, by the way. Um, <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> I probably only had two man of the matches in my whole career, but right. it's irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> I've also down the pint the quickest t- twice as well. Um, yeah. To... Yeah, to some point, just being, we've got no changing rooms, get changed in the car if you can. You know, it's wicked. And then with Bradford, when Bradford balls, we got a little bit more. So we, we got like a home ground, but it was Dudley Hill, which is just a community club. But at least it was there was a changing room. You didn't want to use the showers because you come out dirtier than when you went in. <laughs> and we had somebody regularly taking the kit to a laundrette. So we thought we were like, honestly, we thought that step was massive in just a year. And then... Um, yeah, the 2017 with Bulls, we played the Challenge Cup at Heworth in York. So, again, another community, a little community club. And Tom Brindle, another guy from the RFL, ran us as touch judges and ball boys. And honestly, we thought we were like, oh, this is mad. And I think BCB Radio had come to, to cover it. And we were like, what? We've got coverage, you know. And we were super grateful at the time for what they are. But you think back now to where the coverage we get now, and you just think, we thought that in only 2017, was massive. And Bradford Bulls have got a really famous pub called the Top House that all the fans drink out of. And the Top House pub themselves had organised coaches for them to come and watch us play the Challenge Cup. We managed to get, uh, it was about like 1,100 people there, fans there, but the Bradford Bulls fans, being as wicked as they are, had brought like the drums and the trumpets. And honestly, we I remember standing at the end of the game, we'd won the Challenge Cup thinking, this is the best thing the women's game has ever had. But this community club with the one little grandstand, you know, that, that just about held a thousand people in it. We've got the community radio covering it. We've got two men from the RFL who seem to care, you know, running as ball boys. <laughs> and then we had this little banner at the front that said Challenge Cup winners. And the trophy can only be described as a year 10 boys football championship trophy. You know, a school's, it was about this big. We managed to fit probably two pints into it to drink out of type thing. Um, you know, we thought that was wicked. And then the grand final they had at Manchester Arena, you know, before the early in the morning, before the grand final at Old Trafford. And winning that, 
they all gave us free tickets and shipped us to Old Trafford to go stand in the stands dressed in our Bradford Bulls kit with this, again, another equally as impressive trophy. And this is all built up to the World Cup, you know, so we're thinking we're moving strides anyway because we get to train as a as a, an international squad once every six weeks. But, you know, that's triple the amount we'd had before. Um, we've now got big venues for the grand final and the and the you know the challenge cup final we're being taken to old trafford as guests i got taken i think because it was a it was a 2021 like launch kind of bid so where the i remember meeting carl hall from doncaster and i was sat i was put on his table and and thinking i don't really know who this guy is because i've not been in rugby league really and he was like yeah i'm from doncaster and i'm bidding to have doncaster host some of the games and i was like Oh, so I'm here to talk about the Rugby League World Cup for 2021 on behalf of the RFL. And they've given me these corporate tickets, you know, and we've gotten all this meal and we're walking around. There's people from from all sorts of councils that want to host, you know, World Cup games. And I'm like, oh, I must be pretty, you know, I must be pretty moving pretty well here. Dressed in my England jumper and thinking, oh, people are asking me questions about a World Cup that A, I've not been to yet and is in five years, well, four years time, you know, at the time. And I was like, this is mental. This is crazy. Little did I know, basically, there's about four, four or five of us from England that were just essentially pawned out to put on tables to fill, you know, and and the kind of that's a token kind of women's women's thing. But at the time, we thought that was wicked, you know. And honestly, thinking the game's massive, we're growing loads. Of, and then, so my first England appearance, 2015 June, I paid 300 pounds for the privilege to go pay for England to fly out to and France. And what, what did that get you? It got me a, a week in a motel. Yeah. I worked the flights in a week in a motel. Uh, a bit of England stash. And <laughs> a week off school, unpaid. <laughs> I mean, that is unpaid. crazy. Isn't it? It's like a fan paying for yeah. an experience or something, isn't it? It's, it is but mental it, when you look at it like that. When, I, think, I think looking back now, and I'm kind of... I laugh at myself because the girls who are, you know, training for England or, or, or could have lined up for the World Cup this year who are going to get paid, who are training every weekend or every other weekend at least. I kind of wish they'd, and I am not a stalwart of the game. I came, you know, only 2015, it's not long ago. But I just think back now, I think, what did you do? What the hell did you do? And I was that desperate to play for my country that I paid for the privilege of it. And we had one shirt that we had to get washed and reused for the games as well. We got to keep it, but, you know, it was had both dates sewn into the, the badge at the front so we could use it for both games. <laughs> so Danica, I'm, I'm interested there. You, you know, you said at the start, you know, you, you've really accurately laid out like the timeline of the development of the game and, and the women's game is exponentially growing, isn't it? In, in the amount of attention it gets in participation and everything. But you said something really interesting. You said, I just hope it doesn't move too quickly. And I just wonder what you mean by that. You know, what does that look like? You know, what what's the pitfalls of it moving too quickly in your eyes? A couple of things, really. So, like, my I think my biggest fear is some of the younger girls or maybe the newer girls are a little bit privileged, for want of a better word. Like, I'm old school. And so take Caitlin Beavers, for instance, who isn't at all. But Caitlin Beavers got into the Leeds Rhinos senior squad at 16 from nowhere, was phenomenal talent, was scoring tries, you know, was running rings around people. The same year she went and was the first ever female referee at Wembley for the all the school, the boys' schools final. 
um, you know, and was a key figure in us winning the the Challenge Cup and the Grand, and the the league at the time. I remember she just went from this young girl who were like laughing at taking under our wing, you know, trying to be like, oh, we can't really have socials with you. You're still 16. I'm thinking I teach girls your age. So, you know, on a Tuesday, Thursday, I'm, you know, marking kids work. And then on three hours later, I'm having a joke with the same age. It was really weird. And I remember her coming through the community game at, at, at girls, but then her first taste of senior rugby league was, was Leeds Rhinos and, getting all of the privileges that the men get apart from the money. So we get kit, we get physio, we get therapists, nutrition, strength and auditioning. You know, she's gone from having playing at, you know, Dewsbury Moor to having everything you could possibly want. And she doesn't have an, an idea of how far the game's grown. And she's not, but she's the first one to say. What, why I was interested in you saying slowing it down is because, say, Caitlin's experience, is, is that not the way that you would want it to be for a young athlete? Or, are you, like, what I don't necessarily think that's true. I'm old school, like yourself. Like, I used to get on a bus with uh, 12 Budweiser, you know, sit yeah. at the back, don't speak to anybody. I'd go to Whitehaven, work into, you know, all these places. But do we not want it to be where, the first experience of elite sport is exceptional for these young athletes, for the young women who get involved in the game. Yeah, but then I, the biggest problem for, for Caitlin is, or oh, for her age, well, for mine anyway. So like you talk about, to this summer, festivals have come back. We're not paid to play. We're not paid to train. We don't get any privileges apart from, like my massive privilege is playing in a Leeds Rano shirt. Cliche, cheesy, whatever you want to call it. But I, I don't like to use the word sacrifice because I make a choice. But I make a choice every weekend to not go out with my friends. I've missed weddings. I've missed several festivals. So where is where? how do you build the commitment and how do you build that level of being an elite athlete without the privileges? So what they want from a women's game at the minute is for us to compete against St. Helens or to keep up the, yeah. the morals and the values of Leeds is we have to train. So we, we have our two training sessions a week. We also need to train three or four times in a gym that we get given a programme for. It's all planned for us, so it's easy. We then have to make the choice of, do you go out on a Saturday night with your friends at 18, 19, 20, which is the norm, or the girls that are at uni, do you go and have fun on a Wednesday night, which is the social night, or do you choose to think about your body as an athlete, but without any privileges for that, so without the money, monetary value? So how do you how do you make that transition from building the game? So you, you either go really quickly, bam, here is a salary, here is supplements, I want you to train and perform because you've been paid to do so versus at the minute don't go to that festival don't go out on Wednesday night don't go out on a Saturday or a Friday is 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 the tracksuits the kit and and you know all the privileges that you do get is that in some way seen as compensation for your time but in real in, in real terms it's not is it Danica like it's nowhere near enough compensation for your time yeah, so we've had a couple of girls that have come, not just to Leeds, but I've seen Huddersfield or, or Saints or Wigan, and they've come because it's the Wigan badge or the Saints badge or the Leeds badge. They get the kit, they've played, and you know they've played for Leeds Rhinos, which is um, it's wicked, isn't it? Because as a as a girl or a woman, like if you followed rugby league, you want to do that. But then all of a sudden, you realise the commitment that's needed to maintain that standard. Like, and we lose players, we lose players because. We've got we've got three girls that travel from Newcastle to Leeds, which is a two and a half hour journey one way. So five hours just to train on a Tuesday and a Thursday. 
and there's a couple, there's one girl that wants to play a bit of rugby league rugby union at a university she wants to go out on a Wednesday so how it's for me it's it's not so much I don't want the jump I want the progression to be careful and I want the progression to be we're not we're not a, a sport where can we can be paid we don't get the the endorsements we don't get the sponsorship we don't get the funding yet so we can't offer the girls anything and nor should we yet until we build our own profile but to build the profile we've got to have the commitment so where's the fine line between growing a sport really nicely and making sure people appreciate it and not just play for the badge or not just play for the, I yeah. play for Leeds Rhinos versus I love well, playing for the league. I don't know, it's old school, isn't it? That That's the difference, Danica, isn't it, for me as, as a male rugby league player, Will as well, is although I, I wasn't paid as a young athlete and, and it, it was easy for me to commit because ultimately I knew the potential for me to earn was there. Whereas, yeah. you know, the difference is if you're endlessly asking people to commit and, and, and be disciplined and be excellent, but, you know, you'd only do that for so long if it's not going anywhere, really. You know, if it's not, yeah. if it's not fruitful for you commercially. I think, I think there's a really interesting piece in, in women's sport world. Women's football's going, going crazy, isn't it? So I think for rugby league... Uh, the women's game is a huge source of growth, but th this brings up the dilemmas, doesn't it, of, of, of how quickly we do it. I was just about to say, when you look at this, where we're recording this now, the weekend just gone and the WSL and what's happening with, you know, Barclays getting involved with that and the women's football. And, you know, they, that's been around for years and years and years as well. And they've been, and there has been a slow progression, transgression to do what they're doing right now. But, you know, that, that opening weekend, most of the teams playing in the men's stadiums, you know, with, yeah. with crowds there, with you know the proper kits, the, the same third kits and the away kits and everything is the men. And I guess it's hand in hand, isn't it? Because all those things that you've mentioned, unless that happens, the less likely you are to be taken seriously. And I say that, you know, for want of a better, a better phrase, exactly but to be taken it, seriously by, by, by men as well, by the people who, who have stuck those stigmas and roadblocks in front of you all this time. Because I imagine you've had quite a few wanker statements over the years. I'm quite interested to hear some of them from when you first started in league and the ones that still stand in your way right now. But yeah, I think when I did my first ever like player appearance type dinner speech was at a Lord Taverners event, which is cricket. So I got up into a, a, this balloon debate and I just looked at and I st sat next to Guy Mowbray. So me and Guy Mowbray were talking at this event and I'm like, I don't, I'm not a football fan, but you know who Guy Mowbray is in the football world, don't you? So I'm like, right, this is pretty big. I'm, I'm stuck next to Guy Mowbray. It's 2018 and I stood up and I just was like, right. There's a room of 1,200 men basically here. I need to lay this on the line. I need to find my audience. I need to find my feet. I was like, right, five misconceptions you've all got about me right now. One, I'm not a lesbian just because I play rugby league. You know, we're not all lesbians. There's a few, don't get me wrong. But it's not the blanket statement. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. But actually, the, the ratios have dwindled out now. We're not as diverse as we used right. to be. Oh, um, you have to have some, di two, some diversity training. <laughs> Two, I don't strap my boobs down. We just wear a sports bra. Three, we play full contact. We play full minutes and we play on a full size pitch. And my all time favourite, to break a few hearts out there, half the girls don't even shower after a game. So get that out of your head. There's no shower scene. There's no shower scene. And if they do, that's disgusting. They shower in Not, their what shorts. do they do? They just go straight home. Or they shower in their shorts and the sports bra. 
<laughs> there's, there's nothing exciting about a shower, and it's generally the younger hey, ones that don't. Hey, the guys shower. do that as well. Though. Flash was telling me a lot of the guys now, Wilco, there's no cocks out in the showers. Oh, yeah. It's like there's a lot of little, little no, shorts no, no, no. on. Yeah, it's pants. Lads wear pants. It's much more judgmental the out there the these days, though, isn't it? <laughs> Seems a good place to sort of move on and talk about the the Super League playoffs, which of course are underway. The final at Headingley. October the 10th Carl will be there again when he'll find a whole load of different women in the crowd you'll never play here you never play here girls <laughs> this is just not if you play here but that's exactly <laughs> how he sounds as well <laughs> I mean look so you've got you've got Leeds obviously your team Danica you've got Saints you've got York City Knights you've got Wigan Warriors Cass the five teams competing for the for the trophy um, I mean that that is as good as it gets isn't it now and all those moments that you've said that have been building up to these these situations where you know you're televised you've got a big audience it's still moving in the right direction and, and no more so than now yeah it's wicked so like a massive like we, the National Lottery have funded us to be have this elite status so therefore we can play so we can get tested we have the COVID testing we can have everything that we need to have to play and that's all come from the funding because otherwise you know, we, it doesn't, nobody's got it. it. It's just, we know what rugby league's like anyway. It's a, it's dwindling in terms of financial, you know, backing. So to have the National Lottery put that on and to give us this, you know, the coverage and and it, it's massive now to have the break. We had the 10 teams to start off with and maybe 10 was a bit too many to have because at Leeds, we've been phenomenally lucky with how that we're supported. You know, we've, from the word go, we've been treated as well as we can be treated by them in terms of, you know, we are part of the Leeds Rhinos umbrella. So if you walk into the review room upstairs in Leeds, it says men's, women's academy. Like we are part of that umbrella. And that's a wicked feeling because, you know, when Kev was there, they had Kevin saying, this is the, this is our club. These are the morals. This is what our badge means. This is what you have to abide by. So it always felt a massive privilege to have the to the Leeds badge. But to now be in these Super League playoffs and they've and we've got everything we need. Saints have come on board. Wigan are stepping up. Obviously, York are now offering monetary value to the girls, which is making it just built and, and built their squad and made them you know strong at the start of the season. We beat them 60 odd nil. And now we've just beat them 14 4 because they've recruited because they've got the money to, to do that and offer it. So it shows and they are probably going to compete in the top three as well. But it's wicked because you know like we've played at all sorts. I've played at, you know, Headingley, I've played at the Totally Wicked Stadium, we've played at, at Wigan and just to say that and have that kind of CV of, of stadiums is, is mental for me. And I know the girls are going to have loads more come the World Cup and it's wicked. Um, but the, the build-up around it's huge. So the whole, the Saints and us kind of derby will, and I'm hoping that will be the final, you know, playoffs all go well. And I'm hoping that will be the, the big, because ultimately we, I reckon we are the top two teams without sounding arrogant. But, you know, as far as results go, we, we are on paper the top two teams. So having Saints get behind the women like they have done, especially with them winning the Challenge Cup and, and sealing it from us this year, not over it, but it's fine. And uh, the, the one thing I found home, interesting as well, Danica. Uh, no, I'm not. I mean, I didn't know about this as well, but the, the Betfred Women's Super League South, which I know, and I know, you know, that the guys have flirted with, I think I heard on the radio today about the Broncos, uh, Wilco, sort of going back to being part-time you know and regressing and all those sort of experiments and look what happened at Toronto where you were and New York and all those things are just sort of falling by the wayside but you know in the women's game you've got Cardiff winning the the the, the Super League South you've got teams from Bristol Cornwall London as well Devon, I mean, yeah 
yeah. so so expansive for a, for a, not only a minority game, men and women, but so men's game kind of goes along. Apart from Catalan, the men's game goes along the sixty-two, doesn't it? Like this, whereas the women's is now we actually cover such a massive range. It's, we are probably look, Danica. The the future of rugby league and the growth of rugby league might well be in the women's game and in in you know wheelchair rugby you know in in these these transferable bigger footprint um largely appealing to 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 women all around the country to 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 play it whereas because because the women's game doesn't have a history will and and there's not like a huge amount of tradition you can set up a club somewhere like Bristol and go right we're Bristol whatever's and we're going to play and and people just it's like yeah that's it's just fucking cool isn't it whereas you Why know not? F- for a men's team you go we're setting up a club um near Cumbria and then you just get like 10 clubs with pitchforks and like burning torches <laughs> coming running at you like what are you doing we've played we played rugby league here for 125 years and you're like well yeah fine but so that's what that's how I felt with Toronto I felt every time the name of the club was mentioned because it hadn't existed for a hundred odd years and whatever it just would never stood a chance whereas the women's game it doesn't have that snobbery we can just come like it can be anything it could go anywhere couldn't it and that's We're essentially exciting. an emerging sport so that way emerging sport in the south you know and, and the areas that are not on the 62 so it's exciting and it's new and it's fresh and it's like a little bit rogue because women are playing rugby still you know you've still got that old school element which is actually really attractive to the game isn't it it's different so then, I guess Wilco, you were gu- you were pretty guilty in the past through an inherited culture of making those sorts of statements ten, fifteen years before you went to Toronto. The idea of what Canadians, Canadians yeah. and rugby league. You know, you, you evolve uh, and you grow I, and you hey, develop, don't you? And you and you and you learn. Yeah, I think I've always. It doesn't take. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that a, 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 a really clever expansion strategy was was what rugby league needs because quite simply just anecdotally like if you you know the towns in which rugby league exists there's the you know they're not the most affluent towns there's you know the the support base was aging you know visibly i suppose at my time at saints we had a minute silence every other week for a fan who died you know it became it became just a repetitive like the fans were dying like this and i was thinking well look this doesn't make sense really that we need, we need a joined up approach to expansion, and and it and I, I was dismissive. Not I wasn't dismissive of the women's game. I was just conscious that the men's game was really struggling to make ends meet. And I think I did a podcast with Jodie Cunningham, and I said, yeah, but for the women's game to be successful, it needs the men's game to be successful because ultimately the pot that you're going to be paid out is going to be driven by the men's game. And do you know what, Will? I think I think. I've changed my mind as in I, I think potentially the women's game could be more uh, profitable, commercially viable, more interesting to broadcasters, um, more interesting to sponsors, to blue chip companies, more interesting to schools, more you know interesting for enrichment at schools than the men's game that's, that, that's absolutely crippled by its history that as it's you know, it, it, it's heritage anchoring it down, you know, 
Whereas the women's game is, it feels new. Like you said, this roguish sort of sense. I think that that women's rights and like, like I'm married to a really strong woman who opens my eyes to like things that I, I you know, have just been how they've been, you know. And 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 she doesn't stand for any shit. She won't stand for it. She just. You know what I mean? And it's all changing. Everything's changing. I just think the, the women's game has got an exciting part to play in the growth of, of rugby league. Look at women's football, Will. It's, it's, it is huge now, isn't it? Women's football's overtaken men's rugby league. You know, people say, what's happened to rugby league? Yeah. Um, you know, why, why would, but then it, why the would it be slipping the down? Football, the women's football was from double headers, you know, from strong yeah. men's double headers. And that's yeah, exactly. when we play... When we played, you know, the triple header at Bolton, by the end of the game, we had 4,500 people watching. Now, whether they, they weren't, we're not stupid. They weren't there to watch us. But the last 20, 30 minutes of our grand, uh, our Challenge Cup final, we had 4,500 people, which means there's probably about 3,000 people there seeing women's sport for the first time. And that was because we got given the platform prior to the game. Like, we're not bothered about the standalone events. We'd rather come, you know, and be a curtain raiser or a double header, whatever you want to, you know, proper diverse term is a yacht. It's a curtain raiser, isn't it? I'm old school. Um, but then, but that's what it is, isn't it? Like we get the early, you know, Lee Drinos kick off at seven forty-five, but they open the gates at five thirty. You know, forty percent of attendance is women and children in spectators. Yeah. You know, that for us builds a game, and that's how the women's football is built. You know that. But, but Danica, about... is it not about? It's about this next generation, isn't it? Which fits perfectly in with you, obviously being a teacher. And I'm quite interested to yeah. because kids have no filter. And I, I think in the past you've said that you know kids have called you a beast. They've thought they thought you're a man in a woman's body. All these sorts of you know yeah. things, which which is probably quite amusing, less so than insulting, because uh, you know they don't have a filter, kids. But but that's the type of generation and people that you're trying to attract. To say you, you know, you're in your twilight years on the pitch. But going forward, the next generation of women's rugby league players because you know Wilco made that comparison about about women's football you know the WSL had a big kickoff this weekend you've got they've done it properly you know Sky are showing the games properly they're treating it like you would turn on and watch Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville there you've got Caroline Barker in the studio Karen Carney's been signed up as the main pundit you know you've got Jackie Oatley on commentary you've got it's not just treated with a little afterthought of and you know they're playing in the the, the men's stadiums whether that's going to help them long term when they're not getting the crowds initially it goes back to your point of not growing too quickly because you don't want just empty you know no atmosphere yeah. stadiums you want those kind of 10 12,000 there where you can try and fill it out and keep the noise and keep the atmosphere but that is what it's for isn't it it's for those people now that you're yeah. teaching that are seven eight nine ten years old because they would they should be the ones when they're in their 20s buying season tickets at these these clubs yeah yeah exactly it's like i don't i you know people are talking about the men's game playing it in covid i was like welcome to the women's game <laughs> that's how yeah. many people we play for permanent you know. covid yeah 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 um actually dad to be fair lead runners fans are really great and we do get quite a few hundred coming up but um, oh, yeah, such, a, I, such a disclaimer! Such a disclaimer, <laughs> Danica. You absolute so brand. chicken, you chicken. You know, I've been told I'm a, I'm a business, not a team. <laughs> right. I say all the right words. Yeah. Thanks to Gary Hedrington many a time. Know what to do. Um, but yeah, like I had a kid. Like I've got, I work in a, an alternative provision, so I'm not working with mainstream kids. I'm working with kids that even have less of a filter than kids in a normal school. So they will tell me, black and white, with every possible word under the sun, what they think about me. And uh, this kid one day turned around, he was like, 
you just think you're fucking big time, don't you? And I just went, <laughs> I reckon if you get, if you pictures on Google, you're doing all right. Yeah. And he was like, came in the next day and he was like, miss, guess what? And I went, what? He went, you've got a Wikipedia page. And I just went, <laughs> I've got a what? And he was like, I'm telling everybody. And for the for every day for about the next ten days, because you can you can add, edit Wikipedia, can't you? Yeah, yeah. My kids oh, yeah. from we, school. We edit, edit, we edit Mark and John's regularly. We we change the height, the weight, all sorts of things. <laughs> you, uh, well, that? I had the kid. The kids edited. It. I think the kids took it in turns to edit my Wikipedia page every day for about two weeks. <laughs> Good things I or was, bad? Both. I was the favourite one was the fat neek. So I walked into school the next day. I was like, "What is a neek?" If you're gonna call me it, tell me what it is. And they were like, "Well, we're not sure. It's a nerd and a geek." I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. "I'll take that." Is, is that not getting the fucking naughty corner? Don't talk to your teacher like that. That's what punishment. He's yeah. got some punishments here, Danica. No, I no, mean, it's just I want to understand I'm what it is. Teacher. What is a neek? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's got. I think to be honest, I was like, "Shit, I'm old. I'm not cool anymore." Shit, like, I'm a neek. I don't. Tell me what you mean. Neek. How did I end up being a neek? <laughs> and they were like, you, you teach maths. I was like, fair. I probably would have called me worse names than that anyway. Um, but then, I, like today, we had the parent review day, and it was just by chance. I was, um, and I don't really speak about rugby. The kids sometimes, like if I've got training or, you know, and I'm staying school late, I might get changed at school and, and literally dash to training because sometimes that's how it works. But um, one of the lads today who's, he's not been, he's only been in school for about, with COVID he's only been there about 18 months so he's quite new socially not not great and he brought his mum in for a parent review who had to bring his little brother in and they were just sat at the side I was like oh how are you doing fella how's your summer been you know doing the, the stuff that you do and as I walked away he went mom she plays for Leeds Rhinos yeah. you know before the summer he was like I fucking hate you you know so and then you think that and I'm like he might not watch rugby or he might not but he's turned around to his mum and kind of whispered, like, mum, she plays for Leeds. And I was a bit, that to me is better than having been recognised on the street by a fan, if you know what I mean. Like, honestly, it's so cliche and cheesy that my, that kid looks up to me, whether he says it to my face or not, like, he thinks it's cool that I play for Leeds Rhinos. And I'm actually taking a group of kids to the Rhinos game next next Friday. I've managed to get some tickets for them. And I'm taking about 10 kids down. And they were like, oh, I missed that. That's wicked. Thank you so much. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take the, all the credit for this. It's it's fine. And they were like, are we watching Are we watching you? And I was like, no, I've got tickets for the men's. And they were like, oh, are we not coming to see you play? And I'm like, oh, you actually want to? That, you know, that's, I don't play very long now. You know, I'm a 37-year-old struggling prop. If I get 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I'm happy. But it's, but it's, it's really lovely. It's fascinating the way, that, the way that kids think, though. And you know this obviously far more than Wilco and I would, being involved with them every day like that. But, I mean, I find kids fucking weird these days. I, don't, I just don't understand them. I mean, when you, particularly when you talk about, and we've talked about this loads on the podcast, John, but, you know, kids kids of an age, I mean, you, I don't know, I've got nephews, nieces, whatever, who, you know, 14, 15, 16, and they spend all day with the face in some fucking weird game playing, you know, immersed in... I just don't get it, you know, I, we, and we won't. We, we're old fuckers. We're not going to understand that. We're supposed to understand that. But, you know, we kids don't listen the to the radio place. now. <laughs> kids don't Kids don't listen to the radio. You know, they don't listen to podcasts. So, you know, how how are they going to absorb these these future sports? I'm, I'm of the old school thinking that, just like you said there, Danica, you're taking a whole bunch of kids to, to watch a game. You know, you get immersed in an experience at a young age, and it's a good experience and you enjoy it for whatever reason. You know, 
you're going to go back you're going to have fond memories of it it's the same as if you know for example people the only people that might listen to five live or to the radio or when they hear sports report and you hear that music is because you remember being in the car with your dad and you're listening to football you know generational experiences that's going to help but you can't rely on generational um experiences to to take that those kids forward to 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 immerse them in a sport you know like rugby league like women's like women's sport because i think you said you know kids at school they're not watching they're not just it's not a go-to they're not just watching women's women's sport even at a young age and the girls aren't that's the more worrying thing the girls aren't the girls should be watching it yeah well i think isn't there that old chestnut at the minute where they've just compared christina cristiano ronaldo's social media followings and he has more followings than all of his four football teams or something ridiculous and i think it's more these days that that the kids follow players or a sports personality or a sports person rather than a team now. Like, so I could play for Stanley, I could play for Leeds Rhinos, I could play for England, you know, and the kids would follow me because I like to think they've got, you know, a bit of respect for me and they like the fact that I still play and I train and I, I've got quite a nice, nice ethos about, you know, how I present myself as an athlete or how hard I work or what I eat or whatever on the most part. Um, and like they don't care about watching Leeds Rhinos men, they're watching Leeds Rhinos because they thought it was me, which is it's kind of more of a following thing, isn't it? So if I like you say, like all I need them to do is, you know, imagine if some of these kids go and watch, you know, like let's Conrad Hurrell, how much of a fan's favourite is he? Just because he gets involved and he, 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 you know, he's a bit of a showman when it comes to the afterthought, and that's what the kids will be in. Like, you know, we're going to be in the South Stand at Leeds Rhinos, we're going to be near the band, we're going to be singing the songs, or they're going to be here in the atmosphere. They're not going to care about what's going on the field. And it's more of that spectacle. You know, like Magic Weekend this weekend was an exciting weekend of rugby. And it's not about... Nobody wants to watch the 80-minute games. They want to watch the last six minutes of the Catalan Saints game, don't they? Because Saints should have had that in the back. That's the exciting six minutes. And I think rather than having, you know, the experience of going to this rugby league game on Friday will be wicked for them. If you can show them snippets of exciting parts of games or the bit of the biff or... The great break or, you know, look at Morgan Gannon at 17 years old. Look at this kid, you know, absolutely running rings around old boys in the Super League. So I think for me, it's about picking out the moments for them, you know, and that's what as a teacher, what you have to do. You have to get rid of the rubbish algebra and think about how can you make that little bit exciting? So they think about it or think about it again or learn or revise it. And I guess that's what sport is, isn't it? Where's the drama? Where's the excitement? And how are we going to keep it exciting? And I think as well, Will, Will, Will makes a great point about like o- o- online, you know, this, the fictional sort of world online is, is infinitely exciting, isn't it? Well, yeah. you know, you can, you can be a sniper in, in a forest somewhere, you know, and it's vividly <laughs> real, can't you? Or you, you know, you, yeah. you can, I don't know what they do, build a city and then pretend you own a city or whatever. But, that's really exciting, isn't it? Whereas the, the you know, the going and watching live sport, listening to the radio, test match special world, listening to, you know, you said about the radio, that was me, yeah. you know, listening to these things. We've got to be careful and we've got to protect them. And, and a big challenge for, for women's sport and men's sport is the interaction we have with children who have their interests ever pulled away by things that don't really exist this false sort of online world. Yeah. 90% of the kids I'm taking next Friday have never been to a live sporting event ever. Wow. wow. So, yeah. you know, and I'm taking a couple of autistic boys, which it'll be a struggle for them because there's going to be loud noises. I'm taking a couple of lads that think they're really street rise and really cool. And I'm like, but you've never been out of your postcode area type thing, you know? So it's, 
it, it is an experience and I think I think rugby league's wicked for that as I don't know if it's just because I'm in it and I love it but I think it's a real good environment you know sometimes you can go to I'm not saying football's a you know but it's there's a there's a different vibe isn't there it's a different vibe and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just getting them yeah. out getting them off getting off the TV getting them off the TV getting them off the, the playstations or whatever it is and how many of them will take a phone put it on Instagram and tag I'm at Emerald Headingley Stadium yeah. or and you know, well, and, that's, that's and it stays like, with you forever, doesn't it? You know, it stay, I remember yeah. an experience of when I when I was at school as a young kid. I went to the old Wembley and I, I went to watch England against Georgia. It was like a school trip, and we got tickets to watch England. It was amazing. It was kind of in the days, sort of just pre, you know, Sheringham and Shearer and Gaza was playing and all that sort of stuff. And it was a friendly, and it was a shit game. It was a shit. I, I couldn't even tell you the score. I couldn't tell you one thing that happened in the game. But it's not about the game, is it? It's about the smells. It's about the sights, the experience, yeah. the kind of just being there and seeing. And you're so inquisitive and curious as a kid. You know, curiosity. Did, he, he didn't kill the cat, did it? It made the cat strong enough to go and fucking get its meals to go and survive and get bigger and stronger. So that needs to be battered away, that old phrase. <laughs> but then, you know, I think it's the, it, it's about that. It's about under, understanding and engaging young younger audiences, isn't it? Because as we've just said, they're so obsessed with certain things and not all of them, but, you know, this this computer oh, world, yeah, and like John said, you, yeah, you go into that sort of world and it's, it's so damaging um, because then if you have that experience when you're a kid you're always going to be inquisitive i remember even years and years later my first experience of you know in my probably late 20s 30s going to watch wilco and flash at the jungle or you know going to like just all these you know, mad experiences which i didn't have being a southern a southern fairy you're still always going to have that in you so so the next generation can have that if they get a if they get an, a, a taste of it right now which is what we kind of need to give them you know it's the same john in your world you know will will going into a coffee shop in 20 years time to just sit there and you know just watch the world go by drinking a coffee be a thing because it is now and it always has been but you know look how generations change yeah no. I, I think we, I think, yeah, I think we, we, it's we, a key time for, for kids at the moment it's a key time for everybody because I just I believe that you have to go and do things you know you have to attend sports games for, if you want sport to exist you know, you, you have to walk down a terrace and, and smell like freshly cut grass in a big stadium. You have to hear the roar of a try that's scored, a goal that's scored at, at a stadium that's full. You have to hear the moans and groans, you know, from fans who are disgruntled with a team. You have to see the anguish on a player's face, face to face, not on TV. And all of these things are like the immersive experience that live sport can give that no fucking thing else can ever give. It can't. It can't replicate. You can't replicate. And at the minute, you cannot replicate that feeling, Will, of being in a, a stadium and things happening and the joint energy of 10, 20,000 people all feeling this momentum and energy. Is You can't recreate that. And that's what's immersive and addictive to kids when they go there, uh, yeah. you know, and, and they hear it and feel it. And, uh, you know, I remember going to Wembley in 1996 and 1997 with my dad and just being in awe of what I, you know, I was like, I would have never have wanted to play rugby league if I hadn't watched those games, you know. I, I just wouldn't have. It just struck me. I was like, wow, this is fucking cool. So we need, I think it's great that we're getting 
people to go to the games and I think it's amazing that you're getting some kids down there but we need more of it don't we just get but it's like I just like you grab hold of a generation don't you like these kids are 14 15 16 year old boys I'm taking one girl I think but the rest are boys all disappointed that it's not my game and I don't think it's because it's because it's a generation where the men's and the women's isn't so dissimilar now so to go into watch a a women's rugby league game versus a men's they don't not know any different because that's that would be naive of me to think that but it's not as big as it was when we were 14, 15, where you're like, a men's or a women's game, you'd be like, a women's game? Even I would have been, no. Yeah. You know, I, I would have always preferred to go watch the men's. So I think it's like it's really nice that they actually were slightly disappointed it wasn't my game, but also that the women's game isn't seen as a, a lesser entity to them. And that we, it were a perfect time for this generation of up-and-coming teenagers where we can promote something that, you know, it is... If you are a sport of rugby league, or you're a sport of Leeds Rhinos, or you're a sport of uh, supporters, sorry, of St. Helens, then why not promote it to that generation to come along? Put your Saints shirt on, put your Wigan shirt on, and get down and watch rugby league regardless of, of who it is, really, I think. So it's, how do you get that snowballing? Yeah. Look, a couple more bits, because we've kept you long enough, Danica. Uh, and we had John Dutton on. Uh, Wilco, you weren't here for this one, but a few weeks ago. And it was really interesting because, you know, we were talking about, obviously, the World Cup being cancelled and the knock-on effect that that's going to have for, for the men's game, of course. But he made a great point, and, you know, an obvious point to make, but the knock-on effect that it's going to have on the women's game and the wheelchair teams and stuff going forward and all the prep that's been going on on their sides and all the problems that they've already got with all these cancellations. Um how is that going to pan out, do you think, for, for the women's game? You mentioned about half an hour ago, Danica, you were sat next to Guy Mowbray and you were doing an event looking forward to this World Cup. You know, the preparations for that started four or five years ago. Yeah. And for you as well, at 36, coming up 37, no more World Cups for you. You know, is this going to be the end for you? Is this going to be your last season? Have you thought that far ahead yet? Yeah, I've definitely toyed with it. <laughs> I got, I was, I was all set on next, last year. So I, 2018, I snapped my ACL. And the only reason I came back playing is because people told me I was too old and I should go into coaching. I've grown up with three brothers. I'm really stubborn. And I was like, I'm not finishing my career on an ACL. Not a chance. So I got back. And and so I think the Headley game was the 20, 26th of May, 18. And I made my return 27th of May, 19. Having been in mind, we don't get the support. So I had to go and it, well, I was meant to go NHS, but I ended up paying for my own operation to get my ACL done. And had it done a week after Ryan Hall and I essentially raced Ryan Hall back without him knowing. And I made it within the same time frame as him. Um, and I didn't want to go out on that. And I was like, so 19, I didn't get a full season. So 2020, I'm going to do my final season. You know, I want to go out when I'm still decent. I don't want to go out being not picked or selected because my ego would be too damaged. And then COVID happened. So I was like, right, 2021 it is. And now I'm coming to the end of my, like the season that was meant to be my final one. And I'm like, I can still keep going. Like if you still love it and you still can still keep going at the level at the minute, I can just about keep up with the young ones. Um, you know, I've, I've started at prop for the last few games for Leeds. And I'm thinking if I'm still selected to start and I'm still getting my quality of minutes in, do I keep pushing? Because when it's over, it's over. And I'm not sure I'm ready for that to be filled yet. So there's a little bit of thinking I need to do. But but again, will tell you don't chase don't chase the dream farewell because you know, I've had this conversation with him loads and with Flash as well. You know, I'm the same as you, and I know you said a while ago you don't believe in fate, but I I'd quite like the idea of someone who's put so much of their body on the line and all that commitment to their cause and to their sport that you get you know some sort of nice farewell. Whereas John got booed off by the St Helens fans, they hated him. <laughs> he went off to Toronto, the club fell apart, and so did his knee, and that was it. Good night. Well, that, yeah, that's I mean, this... I wouldn't. 
Yeah. Now, thinking about it, I wouldn't mind going out on an injury because you put like that old cliche thing, and I put my body on the line for the girls. I could do it for the girls. So it would be nice. But my biggest worry about the World Cup is that I know two or three of the, the girls in the World Cup that were selected would have been selected this season. We're going to quit, not quit, but retire and have babies because they're at that point in their relationships and at their point in, you know, at that age. So in terms of a knock-on effect, so you take the likes of Amy Hardcastle, who's become quite a household name, who is a formidable force in the centres, who is probably the hardest runners, tacklers. She's just insane. I know that her and her partner want to have a baby. So does she now wait an extra year, train as hard as she can do, make the squad, be the best she can be, or does she stop now and have a child? And then, you know, you've got nine months out with that, and then you've got the extra two or three months post that to then come back. Where where does she stand now? Because she's not paid to play, so therefore she's got no, you know, alliances to the game. She doesn't... For me, that's the biggest worry, and that's what I mean I'm in, in the... In the the growth of the game it's that side of things and you need, you've got girls that are probably booked time off work because they were getting paid this world cup and they will get paid obviously next year but there was that four weeks of not having to worry about any cash so they provisionally booked the time off work so they're now kind of crawling back to their employees going actually can you give me that four weeks back in november you know october november because i'm not going to earn any money from the rugby league world cup until next year and there's those kinds of repercussions that you don't see so it's not only the training pressures and the the commitment pressures, but it's actually family and lifestyle. And that's the younger ones that are not fine, but the younger ones that are students and are super keen can, but the older generations, the ones that you need to keep, so the Carrie Roberts, the Amy Hardcastles, Emily Rudd, Shona Hoyle type people who are maybe thinking about stepping somewhere different in their lifestyle. How do you retain those? Because you need that experience. You need that quality. You can't go with a fresh-faced England squad for a World Cup, I don't think. And that's the problem, I reckon. Mm. Will Coat, I mean, picking up on that point in terms of because Danik is probably at that stage trying to make a similar decision that you had to make over the last 18 months. Yeah, yeah just to me, it's, it's um, everyone is like running their own race, aren't they? Like, I, I, um, I'm really cautious about giving advice about like retirement and finishing because it's like I remember listening to Gareth Ellis at Flash's wedding who said it's the best thing I've ever done retiring like love it it's just my mind feels free and then about four <laughs> weeks later he's fucking he's fucking playing for Hull again the wanker so I got all excited I got all excited about retirement I was like oh it sounds great this you know loving it and then I seen him running out again I was like he's full of shit but no it's um, I don't know I think. If you enjoy doing it, keep doing it. And that's as simple as it is. I, I stopped enjoying it by, by just by the end of it. And um, that 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 ultimately is it. It's easy for me because I was not yeah. enjoying it and getting paid. I was getting paid to do it and not enjoying it, which is actually, actually, if you think about that, that's fucking really interesting because I was like a prisoner to my job. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? yeah, I'm, I, 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 now my life revolves around the finances that come from this job, and I'm not really enjoying it that much. Well, when it's a, just a hobby, um, I think it's an easier decision whether to retire or not. And uh, I'm sure Danica, you know, is. is well, it's like yeah. we said earlier, isn't it? Like, I'm a teacher, so I get six weeks off. I've not had a six week holiday since 2015. Yeah. Because yeah. I, play, I played winter and union, uh, winter and league. So Union and League, sorry, for back-to-back -back for about three seasons. But I've not had a summer off. So I've had the summer holidays, you know. Last year was probably eye-opening in the sense that I was like, oh, this is free time because I wasn't playing. But equally wasn't going anywhere. Um, 
you know, and, and I haven't been able to go anywhere on my summer holidays properly because I train Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, and I'm of the old school kind of, I commit to that Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday because I want to don't want to let the girls down. So do I want the freedom of having my holidays and having that free time and being able to book a flight and go off somewhere, especially next year when things are properly open, hopefully, touch wood. You know, or I'm also a bit concerned that I, I do believe that in some really warped way, rugby league kind of saved me a little bit. Like I, 2015, I went through a, I broke up from a 13-year relationship. So I also had that kind of survival of throwing myself into being England ready. And, and I've kind of used, I used it as a, an excuse and a saviour in the sense that I was busy getting fit and, and losing, I think I lost about four, four stone just so I could play rugby league for the World Cup and, you know, and play at the best of my ability. So it was a fine line between resting my laurels on loving rugby league for what it was versus I'm not enjoying it as much this year. Is it COVID? Is it because I'm older? Is it because I want to go and sit on a boat with my friends for the weekend in the med and, and drink, you know, and not have to worry about letting the girls down on a weekend? So it's a, it's a, it's a yeah, it's an accumulation of where am I might in my life. Realistically, I don't think I want to admit that I'm, I need to retire, but it's that thing, isn't it? You wake up on a Monday. I play on a Sunday, and I wake up on a Monday morning, and I work in a school where sometimes I have to restrain the, the kids. Like, we have to restrain them and stop them going into crisis. You know, and your body aches from being smashed around, and then you actually jeopardises your job and what you meant. I'm, I am paid to do, which I love doing. Like, I love my job. I love teaching, and, you know, we're not we're teachers. We don't get paid loads, but I actually do enjoy going to work. So what my body – it takes me two days to recover at least, and then I'm back into training, and – if you know Lois Forsell, you both know her. She's my head coach. She's she's a martyr. If we've not played very well at the weekend, we go into full contact on Tuesday and right all the wrongs. Yeah, and that's just you know when you're Caitlin Beavers that's and you're 19, enough. that's fine. When you're 36 and you've <laughs> yeah <tired>. exactly. <laughs> but she's a she is good, but she's got high yeah. standards. <laughs> Look, Danica, it's been really good having you on. And uh, look, I, I know whether it's this season or, or, or going to be next year, I know you've got the playoffs to look forward to as well. So best of luck with them. And it won't be long, will it, before you're sitting on the beach or on that boat with those girls on the med. We should get an invite to that, Judge. I mean, the girls in the med and the yeah. beach sounds like sounds right up our sort of street. Weddings, know, festivals, yeah. you've got all that to look forward to as well because, you know, you'll get your weekends back eventually. And, um, and give the kids a thick ear for us as well. Get them off those fucking computers and teach them a good <laughs> lesson. Yeah, I'll play this exact clip for them. <laughs> In the classroom. <laughs> this is at you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I will take respect. As long as there's no legal repercussions, we stand by everything we've just said. Uh, they call me worse. Danica, really good to have you on. Um, have a great few weeks in the, for the end of the season. We'll go see you soon. Uh, we'll have a next episode for you next week. Um, give us a little follow at Out of Your RL, and we will be seeing you, unfortunately, with Mark Flanagan in about seven days' time. Bye bye. <laughs>